All right, let's, let's jump into God's Word this morning. We're continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark, and this morning we're going to be in Mark 12, verses 38 through 44. So, there's a Bible underneath the chair at the end of each row. New, new Bibles, hardback might I add. Uh, grab one of those if you don't have a Bible. Your phone, plug it in, Mark 12, 38 through 44, or, or in your journal, your Mark journal. It is still Passion Week. We are still in Passion Week. We are Wednesday, two days away from the cross. And Jesus is here teaching in the temple. He continues his teachings. He continues his confrontations with the scribes, uh, that particular group with the Sadducees, the Pharisees. Well, this one is the scribes, the religious elites of the day. He's refuting them. He's calling out their hypocrisy. And he's making it clear that these are not the men commissioned by God to teach Israel his ways. These are not the men. And he is pointing that out. And he says, here's why. Here's why. Look at the way they act. Look even at the clothes that they're wearing and what they're doing to their neighbor. That's what we're entering into this morning as we read these seven verses. So read with me. Mark 12, starting in verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray and ask that you would meet us this morning, that you would meet uh, me as I preach your word, uh, that you would meet uh, all those who, who hear right now in our congregation that that you would open uh, the eyes of their hearts, that you would allow them to, to see Christ for who he is, uh, to see his character, to know his love for them and his, his undying devotion to them. I pray that we would all be encouraged this morning knowing that, knowing that, that Jesus is with us uh, and that he celebrates uh, he celebrates our offerings and our, our givings. 
I pray that you give us ears to hear this morning as we hear from your word. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Robert Chapman, that name might not ring a bell to too many of you. He was an English pastor in the 1800s, and he operated under the principle of giving his entire life to God. And even so far as being willing to give to anybody who asked him for anything. So if he had anything on him that he could give and anybody came up and asked him for it, he would give to them. That was his operating principle. He was, he was called the Apostle of Love. Uh, his biography is, is pretty incredible of, of just his heart posture towards God. And there was this, there was this uh, story in his biography where him and his friend, uh, were, were, he was take, his friend was taking him to the train station to get on the train. Um, and so he bought him a, a, a ticket. His friend bought him a ticket because, you know, not long before, a stranger came up to him and asked him for the money in his pocket. And, well, he gave him his money. So he didn't have money to buy a train ticket. So his friend gives him a, a ticket, buys him a ticket, sends him on his way. And then his friend comes back a little bit later to check on him, and he's still standing there. And the train has left the station a half hour prior. And he's asking him, why are you still here? You should be on that train. And he mentions, well, someone came up to me and asked if I had a train ticket. So I, I gave it to them. So, so his, this is true story. And so his friend went and bought him another ticket and, and made sure this time and, and sent him on his way. Now, there may be some discernment in there of Robert Chapman and, and, and maybe, maybe a little bit more discerning in what he gives away. But nonetheless, his heart posture, the fact that he would say and live by saying, God, whoever comes to me today and asks for something from me, I'm going to see that as a divine appointment. I'm going to see that as you sending them to me and them being in need and me giving them out of my need. I need that train ticket. I need that money to buy it, and yet I'm going to give out of my need for them because I trust that you have brought them here asking for that. That's a person who has a heart that is committed to the kingdom of God. And that's the kind of heart that we see in the poor widow here in this story this morning. And I think that we can hear stories like this about Robert Chapman. We can hear stories about the widow. And I think what we can do is because they're, they're distant from us, we can, we can be in awe and amazed pretty easily and say, wow, what, a, what a, an amazing grace that is to see someone do that. But at the same time, miss that in our own lives and in our own church. Missing those, those small seemingly insignificant gifts that we give and not celebrating. It's easier to read about it at a distance and to see and to celebrate that. We tend to discount and fail to celebrate God's grace in our humble sacrifices. We fail to see our little offerings as having much or any value in, in themselves at all. But that's not how God sees it. 
that's not how God sees it at all. God's value system is different than man's. That's the, the, the true value of the gift lies in the committed heart behind it. And as Kyle mentioned in the giving part of it, we're not dependent. God is not dependent upon the money, apparently. We see that evident this morning and the impact that this little two pennies had on the church. That's what we see this morning. That's what God is calling us to see and to celebrate. So have that in mind as we, as we go through that, this text this morning. We have two points to that and two points. The first one, first one is beware of those committed to the kingdom of self. The second one is celebrate and emulate those committed to the kingdom of God. So jumping into the first point, beware of those committed to the kingdom of self. Let's dive back in. We're going to read 38 through 40. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Beware of the scribes. That's the first part of Jesus' teaching here. The religious elites, the, the ones walking around with ostentatious piety, which is just false piety. The outward appearances of long robes and prayers. Now, these robes were extra long. So some rabbis would wear robes, but these guys came in with extra long robes, touching the ground, basically saying, I, I am no commoner. I, I'm not even just a normal rabbi. I'm, just, I'm not just a normal religious teacher. I am of a different status. This is, this, these, are probes that, these are the robes that sometimes the priests would wear. And on top of that, long prayers. Long prayers. They, they, they want people to be in awe of their ability to go on and on and on with elegant prayers to God. Once again, piling on the status of piety. And it's not Jesus here with a timer, okay? Jesus did not have an ancient stopwatch. And he's not saying once you go past that five-minute mark, right, that, that, that's hypocrisy, that's false piety. So don't, don't hear that part of it. it. Long prayers are good, right? It's not the quantity of those things. It's, it's the heart behind it. Why? Why do you continue in that prayer? Why did they continue to go on and on and on? And we see very obviously why that's the case. They, they continue on with greetings in the marketplace. This is, this is what they wanted. They wanted to walk by, and they wanted people to stand up as they walked by. This is, would, be, would be the greetings that, that this text is talking about. Stand up as they walk by. Call them master, father, rabbi. They wanted those accolades, those titles, to, to, to lift themselves up. And then they, they sit in the best seats. The best seats at the feasts. The ones meant for the person of honor, right? And Jesus specifically says, don't do this. In Luke 14, 8, when invited, do not sit in the place of honor. Sit in the lowest place 
and let your hosts honor you by moving you up. This is a parable when Jesus taught this, saying, don't, don't exalt yourself so that God will humble you. Humble yourself so that at the right time, God will exalt you. Don't, don't sit in those best seats. And yet, that's what the religious elites, that's what the teachers of the law were doing consistently. Jesus is calling out their hypocrisy. Kent Hughes, a commentator, says, as we study this text, he says, our study of this text should encourage us to ask two major questions of ourselves. First, what place does God's word have in our lives? Do we know it? Do we read it? Or are we being bound by the culture so that the word is not going to our hearts? Do we want the Bible to really do its work? And he continues, this calls for a resolve to be carefully, even painfully, biblical in our Christianity. How do we keep ourselves from being influenced by the, the me-centric culture that can so easily slip into each and every one of our sinful hearts? Because it can. We resolve to be painfully biblical. Resolve to let the word of God dictate how we ought to think and how we ought to act. Knowing more and more our, our Father's will and the way that he sees things being done and being played out. We, we see this today with our celebrity pastor culture. How much honor and praise and, and a following goes to these people. And Jesus says, beware of the ones who seek that attention. Be, beware of those ones. Pay, pay attention to those who garner all the attention for themselves and are not lifting up Christ. Beware. Beware. And then he says here in verse 40, right? Not only do they do all that, okay, lift themselves up, but they devour widows' homes, the most vulnerable in society. All throughout the Old Testament, there were, there were laws and practices put into place to protect two groups of people, the widows and the orphans. Right? The widows who lost their husband, their sole provider, and orphans who, who lost their parents and have complete need and dependence upon someone else. Two vulnerable groups. And here we see a poor widow. A one, one who's most in need. And what do the, the teachers of the law, God's teachers, do to the one most in need? They, they devour them. They take advantage of them. This is the complete opposite of loving your neighbor. The complete opposite. This is a particularly despicable act that we see. And these were the teachers, in quotes, of God's words and God's ways. And he says, Jesus says, they will be judged. They will be judged. This, this brings a comfort to God's people, knowing that true justice will always come. No, no one gets away with it. True justice always comes. James 3.1 says, for this particular reason, that let not many become teachers because you'll be judged with greater strictness. You will incur a harsher judgment as a teacher of God's word. 
Yet, here they are, parading themselves about and taking advantage of widows, the ones who are most vulnerable, the ones who are most in need, because they're completely devoted to self. But now, now we come to someone who is devoted to God and his kingdom. Which brings us to our second point. That we want to celebrate and emulate those committed to the kingdom of God. Read with me verse 41. And he sat down, that's Jesus, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Jesus sat there and watched. So, yeah, Jeff and I were talking earlier, it's a funny little illustration, but my, Jeff's son Milo was sitting on the, the grass there earlier, and he was just kind of laying down, postured with his arm up. It was really, really cute and funny to, to see a one-year-old doing that. But I was like, that, that's how I pictured Jesus, just sitting here in front of the offering box, just watching these guys. Go ahead, drop your money in. It's okay. It's like us sitting right out there, Watching people, the offering box. No, that's okay. I'm just going to watch how much you put in. That's all. Jesus was a people watcher. He was a people watcher. He observed the world around him. Not just a receiver of what's good, but, but observing it with a critical eye. Because he had wisdom from above. He knew how the world worked. Now these offering boxes, or really offering jars, 13 brass jars laid across the temple for uh, new, uh, new shekel dues, old shekel dues, birds, wood, gold, and then there were six free will offering jars in the temple. This was just standard, and they were made out of brass, right, which means that you come by and you put in a big, large sum of money, people are going to hear it. Right? People are going to hear it. People are going to know, which even gives more of a reason to give more money. Because, hey, look at me in my long robes, or look at me, whatever. There you go. You can hear it. You hear how much I give. And so Jesus is sitting there leaning, watching them all give. The rich putting in large sums, he says. Not scolding here. He's just contrasting. There's nothing wrong with wealth. So much good can be done with wealth. So that's not, a, that's not something he's doing here necessarily. But let's continue on and let's, let's see. Verse 42. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Two small copper coins. says make a penny. There's different understanding of how much this actually is. Just think of it as pocket change, okay? Quarters, a couple pennies, dimes, something completely insignificant that you pull out of your pocket and you put in the offering box. Doesn't really make a dent in the temple cost. Doesn't really make a dent, you know, if you were to give to a charity. It's just seemingly insignificant. That's the kind of uh, value that we're looking at with these copper coins. Hardly worth a mention in bookkeeping. And yet, he calls his disciples over. He calls his disciples, and what a teaching moment this is. 
can't miss this. He says, this is a living illustration of what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This, this is what it is. This is a fulfillment of the great command. You're, you're watching it happen here. And he says, she actually put in more. You can imagine the disciples kind of scratching their head, and she put in more? I didn't hear anything. Maybe I'm misvaluing these coins all along, Jesus. I, I thought what she put in was the least amount. I don't, I don't know how good your, your math skills are here. And without Jesus' explanation, they may not have gotten it. Right? We know their track record. We, we've, been, we've been tracking through this book. Their track record and understanding Jesus' sayings has not been good. So without Jesus' explanation here, they may have been going on thinking and scratching their head. How did she give more? This makes no sense. So we see Jesus' explanation. Verse 44. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. They gave out of their abundance. Right, this is like the giving pledge. I don't know how many of you have heard of the giving pledge. This is something initiated by Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, uh, basically putting it out there and committing to giving away half of their, at least half of their fortune, and then trying to sign up all the other multi-billionaires, the world's richest people, saying, "Yes, me too. I will give away at least half of my my fortune." And What's interesting is that they, their contributions are, you know, literally the biggest ever made, right? If you're the richest person in the world and you give away half, it's going to be the biggest contribution. But they're going from a life of buying anything they want and doing anything they want to a life of still buying anything they want and doing anything they want. You still have $100 billion in the bank. This would be a modern-day giving out of abundance. Yes, that's the largest contribution ever known to mankind. But I still have all the money I will ever need. So that, that's the large sums coming from the, the wealthier people here. And then the... I, I, was, I had a, an event yesterday, a fundraising event, and same kind of deal where the people who gave the larger sums got the recognition. That's just, it's just how it was. They gave a large sum, you know, teams raised a lot, whatever it was, and, and they got the recognition. And I was just thinking as I, we were doing this and as I was preparing this sermon, like there, there, was, there was someone out there, no doubt, that, that gave five bucks to this cause, gave 10 bucks to this cause. And, and no, none of us are ever going to know that. No one's going to know that. No, and they're not going to get recognition for it. But out of their lack and out of their need, they pull out five bucks, 10 bucks, and, and, and give it that hardly really makes a dent in a big fundraiser. God sees it. God celebrates it because he knows the heart behind it. He knows the lack, he knows it's coming out of need. God sees that, and he recognizes it, and he celebrates it. 
And all of us, all of us fall somewhere in between this, this poor widow and these giving pledge people. Unless there's a secret giving pledge person here I don't know about. Somewhere in between these, we, we fall, right? That, that's, that's where we are. And it can be difficult. Money is allocated already in a budget to groceries and to diapers and to gas and to rent. And it's there and it, and it needs to be there and we, we need those things. It can be hard to give, you know, what's already been budgeted, what's already been allocated. Because we have this, this, this grip on these things. It, it goes here, I need it, I need it for this. And this is why, this is why Jesus often teaches about the rich in, in Scripture. Uh, it's impossible to get to heaven if, if you're rich, to get in the kingdom of God. And, and these hard sayings for the rich because... The rich, by and large, are very dependent upon what they have, the means in which they have. Whereas the poor have to be dependent upon God. That's, that's the difference. They look to God for dependence versus their wealth for dependence. And even though we might not be in the giving pledge category, we still have these, these sums and we still have a very difficult time parting with this, with our, our money, with, with giving over and, and beyond what we already have budgeted. It, it is not easy. Ask yourself, how do you feel when you part with a large sum of money? Especially when it's unexpected. What's your attachment level? What's the pain that you feel when these things happen? Ask yourself that. Examine and see where your heart is when that happens. And how good it is to know that God celebrates when someone gives out of need. You may, you may have all your ducks in a row and then the budget may be there. And then you say, I, I'm just going to do this out of trust, God. I'm just, I'm just going gonna, gonna to give. I'm going to give. This is difficult. This is tough. Uh, I'm, I'm not a billionaire. I'm not the poor widow. You know, you know my circumstances, but I'm, I'm going to give. And I'm going to trust. And I'm going to be dependent upon you knowing knowing the whole time that you're celebrating my, my humble offering before you. Do you celebrate that? I know that because you said it and you, you've shown us that you do that. Now I want us just to consider just what are some, a few ways that we can give. Well, first one, easy, financially, right? We, we're, this is what we've been discussing this whole time. But how about time, how about 15 minutes on an idle Tuesday where you're at home with the kids and you have laundry to get done and your house is a mess and there's, there's 10 different things you could be doing and you do not have that time. And yet you say, I'm going to give this time. I'm going to give 15 minutes for my neighbor across the street who has a hard time rolling out her trash can or is struggling right now because I know that they just lost someone. It's very inconvenient for me to do this, but I'm going to do it. And 15 minutes is all I have right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that, and God's going to honor that because that's, that's what I have. That's, that's out of my lack. That's out of my need. Or how about talent? 
many talented people in this room with lots of skills and expertise in a certain area helping someone else who was in that same field and, and, and sharing your expertise and your skill and your wisdom with them and gaining nothing from it. Probably not going to get anything back from it. But taking that, that time and using your talent to do that, right? That, that's what God sees and celebrates. That's pouring into someone else. There are, there are many, mores, but I wanted, many more, but I wanted to just mention those three for things to think about. These are areas we can give and know God celebrates. Out of her poverty, the widow, out of her poverty, all she had to live on, she gave. Why did she do this? Why did she do this? Because she was committed to the kingdom of God. She was committed to the kingdom of God. She knew God was good and honored those who give sacrificially. Ask yourself, am I committed to the kingdom of God? His reign and his rule, how he does things. Do I like it or, or do I resist? Honestly, ask yourself, do, do you resist those things? I was listening to a uh, a podcast recently about a guy who is a, is a big-time storyteller, so he sees the world in, in stories, and this is a redemptive story, and, and he talks about how we, we complain about the weather so much, and he's just like, why do we do that? The, God gives, it's nothing we can control, and God, every day, uh, gives us this weather, you know, in his story, you can see that like a studio, you know, you make your own weather in a, in a movie studio as you tell your story, God's giving us this weather, and there's nothing we can do about it. That's the way that he's doing it. God has a purpose for that. Do we like it, or do we resist and complain about it? I mean, that's just a small thing, but that's like the fish taco example last, last week. It's just, it's celebrating and enjoying the things that God gives us and the way that God does things. That's, that's his rule. That's how he does it. Here's a, here's a few more examples, and, and just... As you hear them, heart check. Do I resist this? Do I believe it? Do I like it? It's better to give than to receive. Jesus and Paul both quote this. Another one, the greatest of all is the servant. This is what we, we already have in Mark several times. The greatest is the servant. Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when persecuted. I can't imagine that feels like you're being blessed. But that's, that's God's upside-down kingdom, his values. How about count it all joy when facing various trials in James? Counting it joy when I'm facing a trial sounds opposite. How, how can I possibly do that? And you're saying count it as joy. Or last one, weakness is strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Weakness is strength. I don't get that one. How is that possible? I've been taught the opposite my entire life. It seems the world functions that way. So how is it, God, that you say weakness is strength? And Jesus says, my power is perfected in your weakness. These are 
God's kingdom principles. They are hard things to commit to. Just just ask yourself, do you abide by these? Do you believe them? Do you like them? Do you resist them? But committing, committing comes from a prepared heart. The soil of our hearts needs to be tilled. It needs to be worked on. And maybe you don't find yourself, maybe you answered no to all those. Maybe you do not find yourself committed to God's kingdom principles. Your heart is still resistant and you, you try and you try, but you, you feel like I continue to resist God's ways, the ways I don't like. It comes out of a, of a prepared heart, a preparedness. I was just thinking of this, thought of the illustration of, as I'm watching uh, NBA playoffs, what if I were to just go and play in a basketball game right now in the NBA, and I tried really hard, and I was really committed? I'd probably be pretty frustrated with the results, right? I could be as committed as I possibly can on that court, but if I have not prepared beforehand, that wouldn't actually make a difference in the NBA, but if I'm not prepared beforehand, the results are going to be frustrating. They're, they're just going to be frustrating. And two ways to prepare, and these aren't new, just reminders. Once again, feasting on God's word. Feasting on his word. That trains us for righteousness. God's word, it, it actually says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that it trains us for righteousness. It means seeing the world the way that God sees the world. His word trains us for that. Do we know it? Do we read it? Do we, do we cherish it? And prayer. Prayer softens our, our sinful, resistant hearts. We cannot change our hearts. But God can. God does. God will. But prayer is a way of entering into that means in which he does. So once again, ancient applications here, nothing new, just a reminder to prepare our hearts so that we can be committed. We want to be committed. Prepare our hearts for that. Prepare our hearts for action. So we see the committed heart in the poor widow and how it comes out in her, her giving it all away. And though it wasn't much, to her it was everything. To her it was everything she had to live on. By the way, she had two coins. She could have given one. She gave both. She gave everything she had to give on. What was her impact? R.C. Sproul, who we've heard quoted many times this series, says, this was the most famous donation that's ever been given by anyone in the history of the world. Another commentator says, the Lord has converted those two coins into a perennial wealth of contentment and instruction for his church. And haven't they done so? And I, I coined it the, the, the coins heard around the world. <laughs> I know, not very good. I coined it, there's a pun. Uh, the story of the two pennies that continue to instruct our hearts on how to value and celebrate meager offerings. They've instructed our hearts on this. The question is why? Why should we give like this? Why did she give like this? 
Because. Because it's the proper response to the one who gave us everything. It's the proper response to the one who gave himself sacrificially. Right? Like the widow, Jesus gave all he had. And he took on our poverty. He took on our poverty. Before his incarnation, Jesus was in perfect unity within the Trinity, lacking nothing, in perfect love, needing nothing. And yet he takes on man. He becomes a man to redeem us who are man, to enter into the human race for us. That is taking on poverty. That is true poverty. And he gave out of this poverty. He gave out of his poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, rich, needing nothing, lacking nothing, full love in the Trinity. Though he was rich, yet for our sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. That's the exchange. He's committed to you. He's committed to us. This is two days before the cross, 48 hours before the cross, and he's telling these guys about how this poor widow gave everything when he's about to sweat blood. He's about to be in Gethsemane knowing that the full wrath of God is coming on him. He's literally going to give everything for us, for you. He's about to give the greatest sacrificial gift out of his poverty, totally committing to the kingdom of God that through death, there will spring life. He believed that. And he was committed to that. And by his death on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and the principalities. He took on the full wrath of God for our sin, exchanged his riches for our poverty, his righteousness for our sin, his death for our life. And by his resurrection, he defeated death. And God the Father, honoring and celebrating his son's humble sacrifice. Something we celebrate every single Sunday as we come and gather as his people. You've been made new. You are a new creation if you belong to Jesus. You have been adopted You've been justified before God, set apart to do his work. You've been given eternal life and will one day be fully glorified. Because of this exchange, this great exchange, this marvelous exchange, in Christ's care and love for you, you can give of yourself. 
You can give of your things, knowing that he will still take care of you as his adopted sons and daughters, and that he'll, he'll celebrate. He'll celebrate that 15 minutes. He'll celebrate that $5. He'll celebrate those moments that you, you give out of your lack and your need. And he who is totally devoted to the Father's will unto death is totally devoted to you. He's totally committed to you. And while Jesus sat and watched the widow give her two measly coins, all she could muster up, didn't even make a sound in the offering bin, he celebrated. He celebrated. And today he continues to celebrate as the risen king. As we give our offering to him, whatever it may be, out of our commitment to the king and his kingdom, he celebrates. Let's celebrate with him when we see those things happen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a what a joy it is to know that, that you are with us in this, that you, you really, truly do celebrate when we give. When we give that 15 minutes that we didn't have, that you celebrate and you honor and you love to see that. What a joy it is to know that, that we've been given Riches beyond our wildest dreams. We are spiritual billionaires who can give and give and know that you still have given us infinite riches that could never run dry because of your son and what he did on the cross. Let us celebrate that. Let us have joy in that. We give all the praise and glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.